get off the internet. Just get off the internet. <laughs> um, as lovely as our devices are, they're a huge distraction and they make it really easy for us to lie to ourselves and think we can shove productivity into every single second. Like you're able to check your email at the table while you're having your lunch break or whatever. That doesn't give you enough time to just sit and let you know the sand settle and to really just find some clarity. I am a big believer in doing nothing for a little bit, like building that into your schedule. One of my favorite quotes is from Grant Wood. It goes something like, every good idea I've had um, came to me while I was milking a cow. And I find that to be incredibly true. It, like my best ideas happen when I think my mind is at rest, but it's um, kind of a dormancy thing where it has to like filter through and really percolate before I feel ready to come at something creatively. Welcome to Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me is Jonathan Getz. Hello. Okay, so I'm going to read you something. Okay. Everything that we, as culture producers, create is cultural data that others consume. Regardless of a maker's intentions, art is political once it is available to any audience. Even something as seemingly neutral as a chair has political implications. Today's guest wrote that, right? Yeah, Grace Chin, in a thought-provoking piece she wrote for Design Sponge. Though it's been a couple months, I remember reading that in preparation for interviewing Grace at her shared studio space in Lawrence. It struck me and stuck with me, just like Grace's work. I think she's a fascinating study as an artist because she lies at the intersection of art, political commentary, and commerce. Her intricate paper floral wreaths would, by themselves, be a beautiful art piece. But she pushes them into the world of activism with the addition of socially charged slogans like Smash the Patriarchy, Still I Rise, and the ever-popular Nevertheless She Persisted. Her unique combination of message and craft creates political art that is accessible for consumers. Sharing your message can be paramount for an artist, the ultimate combination of catharsis and communication. And if that message can catch some traction on the marketplace, all the better for the message, the artist, and the consumer. Right, but historically you don't see products designed to provoke that kind of dialogue. Functional, yes. Decorative, of course. But not normally overtly thought-provoking. Though with Grace's family history, her mother is an artist and her father a sociologist, it makes sense that she would blend the two together. My mother makes art quilts. She essentially sculpts and paints with thread, which is really cool. It means that I was exposed to a lot of fiber arts when I was growing up and have like a real appreciation for fine art that was once considered a craft. And I think that's really informed the way I think of everything I've done since. There was always an understanding that you could make things. Some of that was also the result of us growing up relatively poor because both my parents were graduate students at the time. So we had to get really creative, entertaining ourselves and learning to be creative with what we had. Mm -hmm. Seeing my mother make things was kind of just part of the backdrop of my life. So I think, I mean, that probably did have like an effect on the way I think now. I started out as an art history major. I, I really loved it. I, I f still feel that any artist who intends to take it somewhat seriously should study art history. But eventually I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do and I didn't want art to be a hobby. 
So my background is in printmaking. Um, I took one intaglio class, so one etching class, and immediately wanted more. Like I just wanted to keep on doing it and could not get enough of it. I'm convinced that part of that was like the community aspect of printmaking because it is like a really community-based activity. People seldom can afford the equipment themselves, so they have to learn to share, help each other, and there's a lot of camaraderie that happens and a lot of people influencing each other. Um, Once I graduated, all that went away and I felt a little uh, disoriented. Recently, I discovered the incredible graphic work of Sister Corita Kent, a print artist from the mid-1960s. She used color and text in such a powerful way, but unfortunately has been overshadowed by other pop artists of her time. When I found out that Grace also loves Corita Kent's work, it made total sense. They both share a similar vision for using visual arts to relay a social message. I... <laughs> I love Sister Corita Kent. I saw a presentation about her in 2010 at my first printmaking conference, which is really cool. Sister Corita Kent was um, a radical nun, which I think is the most excellent job description I've ever heard. She was active during the same time as Andy Warhol and is often overlooked in narratives about printmaking and pop art. But she would reappropriate texts the way Andy Warhol would, but she would use those slogans to support messages of mostly anti-war efforts. She was also part of that tradition of trying to make art accessible to people. So she would sell her prints to both collectors and to people on the street for like five bucks. Yeah, there's something about her outlook on life that really spoke to me. She was someone who could see the world for what it was and how hard it is, but to always see that there is a lot of worth to trying to change it and to like see a better future, understanding that there is better and trying to pursue it. It was a way of using art that really made me want to do what she did. Something that I really love about printmaking, and it's been involved in every you know, major revolution. It's done a lot to democratize art, knowledge, and I don't know, that's still super exciting to me, even though I cannot bring myself to make another print. <laughs> so another field I explored in college was the woman, gender, and sexuality studies at KU, and um, I'd taken a lot of courses, and really wanted to integrate my feminism and my politics into the prints I was making, but it just never felt natural. It just always felt very contrived, and I just couldn't reconcile that. And I think it took not making things for a while to have it all come together and for the feminism to fit, because it's all very text-based. The pieces were all there. They just needed to, like, lock into place. After college, Grace hit a wall with printmaking. She took a long break from art until a project for work prompted her to take up a craft she had enjoyed when she was just a kid. I actually had a kit in eighth grade, um, (laughs) which is kind of funny. It was a Japanese crepe paper making kit for roses. It got really into it and got really into like perfecting it. And then once the kit ran out, I didn't touch it again. But I would break out the paper roses as, you know, a cool party trick when there were streamers hanging around. 
I started making the paper flowers as a way to like get myself making things again because I found drawing and printmaking just impossible. I would sit down and it just didn't happen anymore. At the time, I was working at a toy store that kept me making and in a lot of ways was actually helpful in like getting me to observe mechanisms, like just the way things work. I wanted to build these large paper flowers for a window display and did some research on how to make large crepe paper flowers. I decided, you know, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this at home. Like, this is exciting. And I haven't really felt like I could latch on to something and just pursue it. I had been drawing these, like, well, I guess I'd been drawing the wreaths um, kind of off and on with text in them. I don't know. I just wanted to make a welcome sign for our our home. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. I think I'll push that idea further. And was also feeling really galvanized at that point politically because when I started my business, it was a week after the protests in Ferguson began. And I think at that moment, a lot of people were feeling like, what can we do? What What can we change? And how do we do it? And in a small way, I think that was kind of running in the background of when I was starting to make these. When it came time to share her work online, Grace struggled with how to represent herself on social media. Not willing to use the outlet purely as a sales tool, she decided to see it as an opportunity to open up to the world with her own difficulties as an artist and even just as a person. Her honest posts have been an inspiration to many and brought her new opportunities to share her worldview. She recently wrote an article for the website Design Sponge, which we read from at the beginning of the episode, where she discussed whether an artist has an obligation to be political in their work. This, as you could surmise, inspired heated debate. I don't know, there was a moment, um, and I think a lot of people feel this way about social media, but there was a moment where I was like, I don't want to just slap a hashtag on this and have it feel like I'm trying to like bamboozle people, like trying to bamboozle them into seeing what my work is about and like trying to sell stuff, which ultimately I am selling my work, but I don't want that to be the only thing that I do. So um, I had a moment where I was like, well, I'd like to be vulnerable in this space. Like I don't feel right um, trying to obscure what my day-to-day is and some of that is fear and overcoming fear and I don't know I've really appreciated the internet as a forum to do that to openly discuss things I think good art makes you go oh everyone feels somewhat the same that I do Um, I'm not alone and I think that's kind of what I was doing when I started, you know, incorporating some of my personal struggles into um, my Instagram account. I found this to be a really great outlet for a lot of feelings and thoughts that I've had. Having to publish those with um, some frequency has made me think deeper and faster at the same time. And I don't know that I could do that without the pressure of, you know, the internet double-edged sword trying to keep away from it but also utilize it in a good way (laughs) um 
occasionally I will have internet trolls come after me, but it's never been so bad that I felt like completely unsafe, which I'm very lucky for. I think a lot of the audience that I do have, they're prone to have similar political views because uh, my art is overtly political. So occasionally um, I'll have someone say, I don't really agree with you. And I'll, I've started to try to engage with them on some level, essentially like trying to communicate and trying to get in the same place with whoever you're interacting with. So I've, I've tried, I've tried to in the last year, politely engage with those people and if I start to feel myself lose control of what I'm feeling or how I'm speaking then I have to stop. I think social media really has influenced my art. It influences the way I think about presenting it, about the way I talk about it because before that I think people were more free to make something and not feel like they had to share every single piece they made. And um, I think it's made me produce things faster, um, produce newer things faster, and um, to think of it in a different context, think of it in a wider context and how to make it relevant to what's happening right now or to what the zeitgeist is essentially and like, and seeing other people, the way other people work. So the article I wrote recently for Design Sponge, I know was a little divisive. A good number of people construed that article as my saying, everyone has to be political. And I mean, that is kind of the basis of the article, but I wrote it with the intention that like people would understand that that's what's true for me and they can take it or leave it. But yeah, art and politics have always existed together and been a part of each other. They're inextricable. Looking at Grace's work, you see the influence of literature. She integrates literary quotes into prints and finds herself creatively galvanized by her favorite authors. I love everything I've read of Audre Lorde's. I sometimes I sit there and I'm a little like jealous, you know, that like I didn't think of that. I didn't like she or she's phrased something that I've always wanted to give voice, like something that I've always wanted to put into words but never could. And it's like, I don't need to say that. She already has. But I think recently I've been noticing that, um, and I think this is true for a lot of people my age, that I've a lot of my reading has happened online, and it's usually clickbait. And it's usually like think pieces, and a lot of them are well-written, and it's, ni- it's a nice um, short-form writing. But the things that have touched me the most have been in books. So I've been trying to get back to that place of seeking out um, new writing. I did recently read Angela Davis's Freedom is a Constant Struggle, which is a collection of essays. Um, and Rebecca Solnit is another author. I don't know, she makes me want to like jump up and like do everything, <laughs> like try to like change things. I really admired her writing. Eric Johansson, who is my next door studio mate, he and I often have an exchange where it's like, oh, what you doing? What are you up to? And it's usually making a mess. And I think one time the conversation went like, oh, yeah, it's just a matter of making messes until you make a good mess. And I think that's 
definitely how I see art making. It's just making all you can until you get to a point where you can see what you need to cut out, like what you need to like chip away. And sometimes that's that's not much or sometimes it's a lot. But yeah, I, I think a lot of, I guess my process is just trying things out and not overthinking it. Realizing that analysis happens after you've made something and that you can't do both at the same time um, because you just kind of have to let go and go for it when you're in the middle of it, just like not half-ass it and really commit to it before you're able to say, oh, never mind, I, I like step back and go, uh, maybe, maybe not so much. I'll just start over again, do a different mess and then repeat. Thanks so much for listening to the finale of Season 3 of Hello Atelier. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Grace Chin. To learn more about Grace's work, head over to helloatelier.org. We will be back soon with a whole new lineup of artists for Season 4. In the meantime, keep an eye out for some fun extras we have planned for In Between the Seasons. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play, or visit our Patreon page to become a patron who receives exclusive podcast extras. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and where you can live a little Hello Atelier every day.